The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello. Welcome to the Visual Workplace, the weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. I'm Martin Hinckley, host of the show this week. Your regular host, Gwendolyn Galsworth, uh, is back from England, but she will be uh, taking over the program, uh, returning to the program next week. She's asked me to fill in for her and for her today. And since Gwendolyn and I have been working closely over the last six months on mistake-proofing project for the biomedical industry, we think the concepts here will be uh, both exciting uh, to you and also uh, very interesting uh, and helpful. And our work together has been a very riveting experience. It's a a great progress and opportunity uh, to help share the concepts of mistake-proofing in a broader context. Um, Today I'm going to continue the discussion on mistake-proofing. As the title of today's show, No Defects, No SPC, which SPC stands for No Statistical Process Process Control Indicates, is achieving control of uh, quality at a level without requiring the traditional statistical process control or Six Sigma. And uh, this show is a call-in show, so you can call in at any time with your comments and questions, or you can wait until next week. The show will be live then as well. Or you can send your email to radiovisualworkplace.com and you can reach me directly at uh, martin at assuredquality.com. If you call in, the number is 866-472-5790. Again, the number is 866-472-5790. Last week, we talked about the difference between mistakes and variation. And uh, just as a brief recap, we talked about a punter uh, from an American football team who's kicking the ball over a goal post. And we can look at the distribution of the balls that pass over the goal post as a distribution. However, in playing the game, if the center fumbles the ball, if the uh, center overthrows the ball, if the person that's holding the ball for the kicker slips, uh, the position of the ball or the outcome of the position of the ball in each of those cases or if it gets blo- the punt gets blocked, in all of those cases the position of the ball is completely different than what we could, can describe in terms of variation. These are rare, random events that are best described by probability and don't fit the model of a distribution. The mistakes 
uh, are, although they are rare and random, they always result in outcomes that fall completely outside the model of a distribution. And it turns out that most defects in every process can be traced to mistakes. Events that are just slightly out of the control limits do not do not generally result in defects, and most of the time, they don't result in major failures. Um, we talked about the fact briefly that the, most distributions are not normally distributed. Some of the reasons for this are small sample sizes. We discard the outliers. Inspection only catches 80% of the uh, problems in most cases. And then uh, a lot of process, processes are really not under statistical process control, such as handling. And because of this, statistics has never been able to successfully roll up to predict mistakes. So Michael, Harry, and Rigel Stewart observed that the variation in Japanese products was half of what it is for, uh, for most American products. And out of that, they assumed that the Japanese were obtaining better quality control through tighter SPC control. Um, but the, the real practice in Japan is quite different. One of the things that many people don't know is that the Japanese drawings, in most cases, do not have any tolerances on them. Uh, it is the responsibility only of the fabricator to determine uh, whether a product has is meeting the right tolerances. And a very different goal in Japan is that their goal is to make every part the same rather than to make parts with controlled variation. In other, in other words, they're seeking to make every single part so that it is identical. Now, to illustrate how different our concepts are in terms of how we think of dimension and tolerancing and even drawings, during the International Motor Vehicle Study, there was a team from Harvard uh, Business School and MIT that visited many automotive plants throughout the world. And as they were in a Toyota plant, they were watching the seats, the front seats being assembled into Toyota vehicles. And compared to what they'd seen in every other plant, the assembly was going so efficiently, so effective, that uh, the team was just amazed as they watched these seats being put into vehicles. And in the process, they asked if they could see the drawings for the car seats, for the car seats being assembled at Toyota. And they were stunned to find that uh, a, a person went to left the group to see if he could find a copy of that record. They were stunned to find that a copy of the drawing was not even in the production facility. And it wasn't clear that Toyota had ever received a copy of the drawings for the seat that were designed by the seat manufacturer. So how are they getting to outstanding levels of quality control without tolerancing on the drawings, without the Six Sigma, six sigma uh, tolerancing methods? And what are they doing that leads to fundamental, fundamentally different processes in their quality control? To understand that, one of the best sources that we have is Shigeo Shingo. And he published a book on zero quality control. And in 1971, 
a team of uh, engineers and managers went from Japan and toured Europe, visiting a number of different manufacturers there. And they went to uh, Woten, a molding machine manufacturing manufacturer in Dusseldorf, Germany. And the Japanese representative asked uh, about the QC because he didn't the quality control because he didn't see any control charts on the factory floor. And the German company's representative said, what is a control chart? And the Japanese representative triumphantly explained what a control chart is. And the German representative said, that is an interesting idea, but don't you think it is fundamentally wrong-headed? And the Japanese uh, representative responded, what are you talking about? And the German said, this approach deals with defects after they occur. Our basic approach is to prevent them before they occur. And the Japanese asked, how do you do that? Rather than checking, the German uh, representative responded by saying, rather than checking quality after a task has been completed, we check whether or not operating conditions were suitable before the job uh, was start, is started. And then the Japanese, uh, the German representative said, what are the process defect rates in your company? And the Japanese proudly reported that they'd reached 2.5% defect rates. And the German said, ours is 0.3%. In other words, their defect rates were one-tenth of the defect rates that were being achieved by the Japanese, and they were not using statistical process control. This was a stunning revelation to Toyota, to the Toyota representatives, because they had just spent about 20 years from 1951 to 1971 uh, implementing statistical process control methods and doing that very aggressively, and they had improved their quality significantly. But as they went back and, they, and started to study what, they, what was happening, they had already begun to develop two concepts. One of them was the concept of mistake-proofing, and the second was the concept of, of source inspection. Now, interestingly, I was in a discussion with a, a person, and he said, oh, Toyota is a Six Sigma company, and that is completely incorrect. Toyota is not a Six Sigma company. They do not. Their goal is to completely eliminate statistical process control from the factory. So there are three concepts that are described in this and the German company that laid the foundation for the um, says we're having a connection problem. Has that been resolved? Anyway, in this exchange between Toyota and the German company, the the three basic elements that evolved into their quality uh, were resolved. Uh, the three concepts that are illustrated here, mistake-proofing, and then we'll describe how that evolved into single-minute exchange of dyes. Uh, first, we're going to give some detail on source inspection. Um, we'll talk about mistake. We'll discuss 
the concept of single minute exchange of dyes. Each one of these is absolutely critical and essential to achieving the highest levels of quality control. And it is single minute exchange of dyes that allows uh, Toyota and similar companies to completely eliminate statistical process control. Um, With that, um, we're going to take a break a little bit early to see if we can resolve the static problem. Thank you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Thank you. We're going to begin talking first about source inspection. But before we understand source inspection, we need to understand what uh, types of inspection existed before source inspection. Until 1923, the only kind of inspection that existed is what we call, uh, what Shigeo Shingo called judgment inspection. Basically, uh, we start with the elements of production, which are the man, the machine, the materials, the methods, and the messages. We execute the process, and then we would inspect them to determine whether or not they were good or bad. And then we would accept or reject the individual part that was just inspected. Now, the problem with this approach is it required lots and lots of inspection. And in spite of the inspection, there's lots of defects that got through the process to the customer. In about 1923 is when the process of statistical process control sampling inspection uh, was developed. And in this case, we start with the man, machine, material methods, and messages. We execute the process, generating a product. We take a sample. We inspect the sample. And from that inspected sample, we generate data. We do two things. We One, we use the, the data to determine whether or not the batch is acceptable or not acceptable. And two, we use the data generated from the inspection to modify or improve the process so we don't keep making bad product. 
Well, this was a wonderful improvement. It dramatically reduced the amount of inspection that needed to be done. However, there are still many significant issues. Uh, one is that the inspection is imperfect, and so we still get defects that escape. Another problem is we don't inspect every article, and we're just trying to predict the fraction of defects in the population uh, of the product that we ship, and we may estimate that incorrectly, and we can be assured that uh, there are some defects that are escaping to the customers. The third part of the problem is that the responsiveness of the system is highly dependent upon the feedback. In many cases, I've seen product generated that goes into an inspection queue, and it may be weeks before the, re- the inspection is completed and the results are returned back to the process. And during that period of time, the process can be generating uh, ex- a, lot of, a lot of defects. And so one of the problems, there's two problems. One is we don't eliminate all the defects, and two, there's not uh, uh, the, the length of the feedback loop is critical in determining how effective this type of inspection is in improving quality. Well, one of the things that they noticed when they went to this plant in Dusseldorf, Germany, is that when they did a setup, uh, before they could actually start processing, a quality control person had to come over and check every single setting. They had to check the dial of the gauge. They had to check the uh, spacers and uh, forms that were being set up on this rotary drilling machine. And uh, everything was double-checked before they started executing the process. That was very similar to the sources inspection techniques that were evolving at Toyota. What they were doing is they were starting to move the inspection instead of downstream of the process, they were beginning to move the inspection to, up, to the upstream side. That turned out to be very, very important. First of all, uh, by putting the inspection at the source, and what they do is they check the man-machine materials, the methods, and the messages of production. And they must all be in the correct state before the work is done. Uh, if the work is not in the correct state, there's three different possible outcomes. The, there is a control system like putting a nozzle um, into your vehicle. You can't put a diesel nozzle into a gas vehicle. That, method was originally developed to prevent you from putting a leaded fuel into an unleaded vehicle, but it does prevent putting a diesel nozzle into uh, into a gas vehicle. Because the size of the nozzle, there's a restriction in the inlet that that is too small to let the diesel nozzle be installed. So that is a control. So that's one of the possible outcomes is a control. The second possible outcome is a warning. It shuts down the process so you can't continue. A classic example of that that is when you're refueling your car. Um, When the tank gets full, the sensor automatically turns off the fueling. That's a shutdown. The third possible outcome is a warning. For example, as you're refueling, as you get close to a prepaid amount, the rate of pumping slows down or a bell rings when you get to the 
prepaid amount. Those would be a warning. Now, a warning from the standpoint of mistake-proofing is completely different than a sign on the wall. A warning is an active warning. It must be something that actively activates based on a certain state or condition. Of the types of control methods, warnings are the weakest because the operators can, uh, can ignore them and controls are the best. But all of the conditions must be checked before the work is done. When the conditions are correct, the work is executed and there is no inspection downstream. Amazingly, this type of process can get to a to virtually perfect quality and do it at a fraction of the cost of traditional inspections. Now let me illustrate with a process to uh, demonstrate how source inspection is different than traditional SQC inspection. Let's consider the case where a person is drilling a pattern of bolt holes in a flange equally spaced around a ring. In the traditional part, the person would execute the task, the product would be taken to inspection, somebody would check each hole diameter, they would check each hole position, and they would check that each hole is drilled through correctly, and then a report would go back to assure that the operator uh, changes the drill bit or whatever is needed to uh, make sure that process is working correctly. What is different about source inspection is on a machine where I'm drilling holes in a hole pattern, when I set up the part, if the part isn't in the proper location and the proper orientation, limit switches determine uh, that it is out of place or not installed, and you can't even turn on the drilling equipment until that part is in the right position and orientation on the, on the uh, equipment. Next, they would have a counter on the tool. Uh, so that if, after it's used so many times, it's taken off the machine long before an out-of-tolerance uh, part is generated. For example, if it's a drill, they may be limited to 500 operations or 200 operations or whatever the number is based on the experience. They determine how many times that tool can be used and it's removed a long time before a defective hole is created. They would have a sensor looking at the drill bit that would detect if it is broken in the process. If it breaks during the process, the process is immediately, immediately shut down, and often it can be shut down so quickly that the part is not scrapped uh, when, the, when the tool breaks. They would have a sensor. If I needed a through hole, it would detect that the, that the drill goes all the way through the part and not just uh, plunges into the part. Uh, they would have a... Uh, mistake-proof the selection of the tool that goes on the part, and they would have a counter on the number of drill operations. If I'm supposed to put six holes in and I've only put five, the part is locked in place and it cannot be removed from the, from the fixture until all of the holes are added. Now, what is really interesting about this type of source inspection is it dramatically increases productivity. Traditionally, as a person drills a hole, they personally try to check their work. They generally have some tools to check the hole diameter and dimension, and they count the number of holes that are put in that to make sure that they've done it correctly. They're always comparing and checking on the equipment and checking the products that have been processed. In comparison, 
when you do this with, with this source inspection, the product, uh, the operator doesn't need to inspect the part at all. He knows that when it's completed the process, it is 100% correct, and it doesn't require any inspection downstream. The second key part of the process is mistake-proofing. Now, we talked about the fact that mistakes are rare, random events. You cannot predict when they're going to happen. And that means that to control them, we need a method of control that works 100% of the time. It cannot be something that just checks occasionally, and that's one of the fallacies of the traditional view of sampling inspection. And so for each type of mistake that can occur, they implement a, um, a, an inspection for the mistake that either does provide the warning, shutdown, or control to assure that mistakes, if they occur, do not result in a defect or an outcome that's unacceptable. Now, inspection, in addition to being 100%, because mistakes are rare events, they are looking for extremely inexpensive mistake-proofing solutions. Their goal in the 1990s, at least, was to implement each mistake-proofing device for under $150. And that's very important. Knowing that mistakes are rare events, if we're going to control mistakes, we have to focus on on things that are, are very, very inexpensive. In a recent visit to a plant, we saw a system that cost $160,000 that was implemented to prevent mistakes in uh, a, a system. And $160,000 to prevent mista- a mistake is uh, more than you can afford to spend. You have to look for much, much less expensive types of inspection methods. So low cost is important. Another characteristic of the mistake-proofing is it needs to be autonomous. Now, notice I didn't use the word automated. It's not necessarily automated equipment, but the key concept is the operator cannot have to perform an extra step to make the mistake-proofing work because he can forget, he or she can forget that step. So it has to happen independent of the execution of the general task the operator is doing. And it should result in a control, a shutdown, or a warning. Now, to give you an idea of how how extensive mistake proofing has to be to control all of the mistakes that occur in a process, for every 60 seconds of work content, on the average, companies that are very good at mistake proofing have five mistake, uh, 12 mistake proofing devices, or in other words, a mistake proofing device for every five seconds of work. So that's an amazing number. If you think about refueling your vehicle uh, and all of the mistake-proofing devices that are there, such as having to enter in your card before you can dispense gas, verifying your payment method, having to um, verify that Uh, You're selecting the fuel before you can dispense it, having to remove the handle from the pump before it will dispense. Uh, On the the, uh, controls, there's a bar that prevents that from accidentally dispensing gas if you drop it. There's a sensor that shuts it off if it overfills. 
in California, they put a spring on that uh, on that nozzle that uh, puts a sleeve around there and collects the fumes. Uh, when you're finished, you're supposed to put the nozzle uh, back on the pump, but occasionally people in the United States drive away without doing that, and they've anticipated that and have a breakaway hose. If we start to count on that simple task, and there's only about 20 seconds worth of content, work content doing, in doing that, there's about uh, 13 different mistake-proofing devices. So you, it gives you an idea of how much mistake-proofing you need to really get your mistakes uh, completely controlled. Now with that, we'll take a break, and then we'll start talking about single-minute exchange of dyes. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company Gwendolyn galsworth visual workplace expert and award-winning author is available to help you harness and maximize that power with nearly 30 years of hands-on experience dr galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars site assessments total company conversions keynotes coaching and consulting learn about visuality through our books dvds on-demand webinars visual edge learning packages and a host of other teaching materials enroll in the visual lean institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or qmi affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses keep your visual workplace going and growing Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Thank you. We're going to begin talking now about controlling variation without statistics. Now that sounds, uh, from, for some it may sound like a completely foreign concept, but this is exactly what Toyota does. They are not controlling variation with statistical methods. And uh, it goes back to the conversation that occurred at, at Wooten between Toyota and the German company. They realized that they could achieve a higher level of quality by making sure every setup was exactly right the first time rather than going through all the process control. And that information led them to understand that most of the problems that are happening in processes are occurring because of setup errors, because mistakes are being made in the setup at the start of the process. And so out of this came their, their effort to dramatically simplify and correct uh, and mistake-proof the setups. Now, if you have a sheet of paper in front of, uh, available, I'd like you to take the piece of paper and fold it lengthwise. Just put a crease right down the middle, 
uh, lengthwise, try to fold it as evenly as you can in half. And then after you've made that fold, unfold it and fold it uh, across the short dimension right in the middle. So you should have a square piece of paper. When you unfold it, there's four sections. They should be roughly equal, and you've got four Two creases, one running the length of the paper in the middle and one running the width of the paper in the middle. I want you to lay that paper out uh, long ways left to right, right in front of you in the middle of the table. Now, if you have a pen or a cell phone, uh, let's see, if you have a pen or a pencil, I want you to circle, put a circle around that intersection, and I want you to imagine a line going straight up that through that uh, point straight up, and I'll describe the use of that in just a minute. If you have a cell phone or pen now, I would like you to take your pen your pen or cell phone or anything you have available and set that on the piece of paper. If you can, orient the long dimension of the part along the line, long crease, so the side, uh, along the narrow width, your part is centered on that. And then I want you to center the part, the pen, lengthwise so it splits, or the cell phone so it splits, and the crease is now right in the middle of the part that you set on there. Now I want you to pick this up, pick whatever you put up, uh, put down, pick it up, and I want you to put it back in the same position on this piece of paper. And I want to ask you a very simple question. Is the part that you placed on this piece of paper in exactly the same position that you put it there the last time you set it down? And if it isn't, what would you have to do to get that part in the right position if I'm going to process? Now you can start thinking of this line that's going vertically pointing up to the tool. It could be something like a drill. It could be pointing uh, upward towards a milling machine head. Whatever that tool is, that line points straight upward to the zero position uh, of that tool. Well, it turns out if you take something off and you put a fixture back on, it never goes back in exactly the same place. And so the procedures that we've developed and that are still commonly used in most manufacturing environments is when we put a new fixture down, because the fixture never goes in exactly the same place, we have to have an expert, a machinist, that orients the parts accurately so the, the long part of the part that's placed down is parallel, with, for example, with the crease. And that the side to side, uh, we've got it centered right uh, with the crease. Uh, the part is centered lengthwise on the crease. And that determines that the part is in the right position to start manufacturing. Now, these setups can be extremely complicated. I have one part that I designed, the first part I designed when I got out of college. The uh, setup times took two weeks, and they would make five parts, and they would tear it down. And then the next month, it would take two weeks and set it up again and make five parts and tear it down. Uh, so setup times can be extremely long and extremely difficult. And the reason, one of the reasons that setup times take such a huge amount of time is that we never set the part in the same position on the, on the equipment each time. We have to change out the tooling to make a different product. Maybe 
one time, one day we're making uh, uh, one type of cell phone, the next day we're making a, a different type of model of the cell phone. So we're always changing tools to accommodate that. Now I want you to either draw some circles, or if you have three pennies, three dimes, or three coins of the same size, at the back edge, one inch in from the back edge, and one inch in from each end of the piece of paper, I want you to draw a circle or put a coin on the piece of paper. And then right on the middle in the center crease, set a coin two inches from the back end, uh, back edge, and set a coin or draw a circle at the, on the crease that goes uh, across the short dimension of the part. What they do in uh, Japan that came out of the Toyota processing methods is they take a base plate. And the base plate has a B slot in it. It's a very precision B slot. And they put large pins in every single set, uh, bed of every piece of equipment that they have operating. Typically, they're in this three-pin kind of pattern, although there are other somewhat more sophisticated patterns. But one of the things that's very interesting is now I can take that base plate off the machine, pull it off entirely, and I set that base plate in and slide it up when it contacts both of those back pins and is centered on that center pin, that part is set up in the same position as it was last time within one ten-thousandth of an inch. So I can make changes and change from one configuration to the next, and the parts are, are set in exactly the same position as it was last time. It's also precisely oriented axially, so the, the uh, tool is set up so the alignment is uh, square with the travel of the part, and uh, the distance back to front is exactly the right place to center that part front to back in exactly the right position. They use quick settings. They don't have any fasteners on the tools or equipment uh, or the fixture changes that require more than a quarter of a turn. So the changing of the parts from one product to the next is made in, ex in extremely fast time periods they typically reduce the setup time to 140th to 100th of the time that it takes in a traditional setup. In other words, if it would traditionally take 100 minutes, they're doing these setups in one minute. If it is traditionally taking uh, weeks, they can do it in hours. To give you an idea, when we visited the new United Motor Plant that was operating in Fremont, California by Toyota, we were told that a series of multi-ton dies for stamping auto body parts, would the entire series would be, uh, change would be completed in 20 minutes. Now at the time, this was in the 1990s, changing out a die set at an at a American plant would take two weeks. So they're doing the same setup change in 20 minutes. Well, that has a dramatic impact on uh, the optimum lot size, the Japanese view the optimum lot size as uh, being almost irrelevant. They can make large lots or small lots at about the same cost because the setup times are so so inexpensive. And we t tend to think of single-minute exchange of dies as just a lot size tool, but it's more than that. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, single-minute exchange of dies is one of the most important tools in their in their tool set because it is their 
one of their key quality control tools. Now, to illustrate, they seek using single-minute exchange of dyes to completely eliminate all adjustments in the process. What happens with statistical process control is when we have a process, partway through the process, a tool is worn out, uh, for example, a drill or a milling tool, and we change that, but we're still making the same part. Well, because the length of the tool is different, we're making lots of adjustments to get this back in the right place to make the parts the same way each time. Here's how they handle the tools. So they're exactly the same every time. They put a spring between the tool and the tool holder. As the tool wears, maybe every five, uh, 15 passes with a milling machine cut, they take the tool with the tool holder off the machine. They release the gr- they put it in a special holder that matches the way it's held on the machine, and they release the grip between the tool and the ho- tool holder. And the spring pushes the tip down to a fixed stop. Now the length between the tool holder and the tool tip is exactly the same, and they can put that on the machine without any adjustment in the depth of the cut. They're always cutting the groove in, with that part at exactly the, uh, within the same range of depth without any kind of adjustments of, this, of the machine. Now, what's interesting is if I need to switch to a different tool, I've got a new tool to load or I'm going to switch to a different uh, product to make, I set the tools the same way and there are no adjustments to set up the different tools on the equipment. They just set to that length and pop onto the machine, dramatically reducing the amount of time that is spent in terms of completing the setup. Uh, and so we use, we use the process of always trying to convert every single adjustment to a setting. And that is uh, a part of their single-minute exchange of dies. Now, when I convert an adjustment to a setting, when the dimensions and tolerances are set with a setting rather than an adjustment, I get rid of the statistical process control. I get rid of all the data collection and tracking. I get rid of all the inspection for that kind of process. I get rid of the, um, uh, the variation in the process. This is how the Japanese companies were getting defect rates down to, uh, the variation down to extremely low levels, but they were doing it without statistical process control. You can get half the variation, and you can do that without any statistical process control in the process. So it's an, it's an amazing conversion in terms of the process, but notice that it's also dramatically improving productivity. So here's a, here's a case of a quality control method that is extremely effective in improving quality control and also is dramatic in, um, in the reduction of the cost in executing the process. And with that, we'll take a break. Thank you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. 
With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. When we look at single-minute exchange of dyes, these base plates play a key role in simplifying the factory. What they try to do is every, ba- every piece of equipment has the same type of base plate. They, they have several identical base plates that fit that machine. And ideally, to the extent pro- practical, they like to have the same size and dimensions of base plate for every piece of equipment in the factory. So when I have a new piece of tooling, I don't have to redesign uh, each tool to match each machine. What I do is I design my tooling, my uh, fixturing, to match a base plate. And because the base plates are basically, there's just a few common styles of base plates in the factory, I can quickly redesign a new fixturing. There's a one-time setup of that fixturing on the base plate, and then I'm ready to start processing a new product on that on that base plate, so it dramatically simplifies all of the fixturing in the in the plant. Now, they don't just try to control dimensions with uh, single minute exchange of dyes. They can try to control all kinds of variation and convert all kinds of variation from adjustments to settings. For example, on an injection molding machine. A traditional molding machine setup change can take one to do two days in the United States. We stop molding, we wait for the mold to cool down, we pull the mold off, we put on a new mold, we get it precisely aligned, uh, we then start heating it up, and then uh, after it's uh, reached close to the what they call the condition temperature, they start injecting plastic because the mold temperature is coming up to heat as we're injecting plastic in it. It takes about uh, 100 to 200 shots or presses of plastic into the mold to get the the mold working, the parts to be made, formed properly. We scrap and regrind those parts. And so it takes about two days to get switched from making one part to the next. Here's how they do it differently in Japan. They store the molds in an area where they're using the waste heat to keep the molds at near the condition temperatures. They take the molds and they drop them in a V-shaped groove so the mold is in the precise position as soon as it drops in place. A couple of fasteners lock it down. 
They have quick connects for the electrical, the hydraulic connection. They put a blanket over the mold so the workers aren't touching and can't touch the hot mold. They're ready to start molding in a couple of minutes. And now because the mold is hot and very close to the condition temperature, they, when they start molding, they're able to reach what they call the condition state in about 10 shots. So they only regrind 10 parts. And they've taken less than a minute or two to change out large, complex molds on plastic injection molding machines. You see, they converted the temperature to a setting and not just the dimensional tolerancing. Now, uh, they do the same thing with uh, pressure in the automotive industry when we're looking at pressurizing. Uh, every gas tank needs to be pressurized, pressure tested to assure that it doesn't leak. They do that with uh, air or a gas, uh, an atmospheric type gas. So in the traditional approach, we have a large pump and we pump up really fast to, to do that quickly and close the valve. Well, when we close the valve, because we've been pressurizing the air, that heats up the gas. And when we close it, the gas cools down and that looks like a leak. So we have to wait until the gas cools down until we can actually leak check the gas tank to make sure that it's uh, leak-free. Well, here's how they do it differently. They go get an old propane tank, they get a small pump, and they pressurize this propane tank, and the propane tank is kept at a nearly constant pressure. What they do is they then hook up a gas tank to this uh, large propane tank, open a valve, and the gas expands from the large tank into the small gas tank, but because this is what is considered an adiabatic expansion, the gas heats up a lot less in the, tank, in the gas tank that they're testing. They shut the valve. They are ready to test it. The pressure comes to equilibrium very fast, and they've gotten rid of a big pump. They get a very small pump to do the same work. Um, we think of making, you know, we have a new design. We redimension everything, and we may change something a few thousands and rebuild it. And they try to make all of their parts so they're parts of steps. For example, if they're on an inch system, they'd have uh, about eight blocks that would give them every increment of 25 thousandths of an inch between zero and one inch. Or they may have uh, half a millimeter uh, type steps where they're working in metric. Now, to illustrate how they use this and do this with amazing effectiveness, is uh, Nippon Denso can deliver a radiator prototype to uh, to Toyota in 24 hours. In the United States, I don't know what the turnaround time is currently, but in the 1990s, to get a prototype radiator in the United States, uh, it would take it would take on the order of um, it would take on the order of uh, a year and a half. So they're 550 times faster getting prototypes to Toyota than, than uh, we are in the United States. So how do they do that? Well, in, uh, in the United States, we have to make fixtures to hold parts as they go through the braze oven. We have to make special headers and pans for the radiator. Here's how they do it in Toyota, Nippon uh, Denso. The pins come in different increments of width front to back, if I think of the location in the car, that's the thin depth, and they come in step. And then um, we 
have, they can set up the machine to cut them to any length. They make them uh, so that that change during a process that they're executing during the break, make them to any length, put them back. The parts are self-fixturing, so they snap together and hold themselves when they go through the braze furnace. On the header and the pan, they can slide out the end plate and put in blocks that increment the width of that header or pan one fin width or two fin widths or three fin widths. And then during the break, they take those uh, added uh, fins out and, and move the end block back into the original place that they're operating. So that they can make the, do the changes to make a custom radiator on production equipment and deliver that in 24 hours. That is the real standard about standing process control. If you can do your prototyping, if you, if you can do your prototyping on production equipment, that demonstrates the highest level of efficiency in your manufacturing process. Now, to illustrate, Toyota does all of their prototyping on an existing production line. They'll switch, and the switches are traveling down the line, and then they'll switch back and be making uh, the existing product on the line with minimal disruption of the existing production. And that's how they do it. They do that with uh, uh, one company, one factory makes 13 different products on the same product line. That represents an amazing level of efficiency in production, setup, changeover, and processing. And it eliminates the need for a prototyping facility. It helps them to achieve uh, amazing performance, and they pay hardly anything uh, more for their prototypes than they do for traditional uh, for their traditional cars. In the United States, when we do prototyping, we have a separate facility. We have the cost of that facility. We have all of the setups for that facility and very, very complicated tooling, whereas Toyota is using these single-minute exchange of dies on their tooling, so their tooling setup costs are dramatically lower. Uh, because the changeover times are minutes, it uh, virtually has no impact on their existing production in a... Toyota plant, they're making 250,000 vehicles a year. So uh, the setup time to change over and make some prototypes, 30 or 40 prototypes, is uh, hardly even noticed in the production quantities that they're able to generate and deliver. Um, A lot of times we think that some of these methods are only geared to large quantity production. And that is a real fallacy and a complete misconception. One of the most interesting parts of single-minute exchange of dyes, if, if you are involved in small quantity of production, in small quantity production, the setup time changes are a larger fraction of the disruption to the process than in large batches. So single-minute exchange of dyes turns out to be an incredibly powerful tool for the smallest quantity productions that you can have. Now, the other thing that's very interesting about single-minute exchange of dyes, it's it's also an incredibly effective tool in in improving quality on small batch production because you can uh, implement mistake-proofing in the the single-minute exchange of dyes. You implement the mistake-proofing on the tools that are selected. You mistake-proof the settings of the equipment and the machine. You mistake-proof the positioning. Uh, so that you can't turn on the machine if the if the fixture isn't in the right position, because all of these elements are mistake-proof, 
you can get uh, virtually defect-free prototypes and do that on the first prototype through the system. So the result is that uh, the impact is not this narrow spectrum of high-volume production that we imagine that it is. It is uh, truly a broad-spectrum kind of tool. It is uh, It cuts the setup times by 98%. And because it's cutting the setup times by 98%, uh, we won't go into that aspect of the of the analysis, but it that's also eliminating 98% of the mistakes in the setup. Because we've eliminated the adjustments, we've eliminated all of the adjustment errors that occur in the process. And between mistake-proofing and single-minute exchange of dyes, we get to virtually defect-free product, and we do that uh, at a fraction of the cost. We do that with dramatically lower cost of inspection. We can do 100% inspection for a fraction of the cost of what we do traditional inspections at and uh, achieve amazing results. So we wish you the best in your implementation of your, uh, of your efforts to improve quality control, encourage you to explore opportunities that avoid uh, the statistical process control methods, and uh, look for ways to convert your adjustments to settings. And if you do this, uh, you can get outstanding levels of quality. One company that we know of claims that they have completed 25 million operations without a single de- defect. Thank you for participating today. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.